Well, good morning. <laughs> How are you? I hope you're well. If this is your first time with us, I'm not Pastor Glenn. I don't know if you knew that, but you wouldn't because this is your first time. My name is Brian. I get to be one of the pastors here. I get to work with the young adults, and it's just great having you here. Um, if you would take your Bibles, or if you use your phones or a tablet for your Bible, it's fine. You're going to want to turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and I'm, I'm guessing that as you turn there, some of you are going to look at it and go, I've heard this. I've read this. Like, what... He's going to teach the same stuff all the time. Here's the danger when we as Christians, okay, when I say the prodigal son, how many sit there and go, heard it, put your hands up. This isn't bad, just put it up. So 30% of you, the rest, okay, this is different. Okay, more than I thought, less than I thought. But you hear it and you go, I've heard it. I've heard it, I've read it. Someone's preached it 25 times. And I mean, there's a reason that we know it so well because it's always brought up. And I want to challenge us that when we get to places in Scripture, because I don't know about you, but the Bible doesn't seem to be adding pages to it in different books. It seems to be the same book that's been around for a couple thousand years. And what God does is he takes this book. You could, okay, I'm going to have you raise your hands in just a second. How many have ever read a passage, got something out of it? Two years later, you go back to that same passage and thought, was this in here before? Anybody? Yeah. Because then God goes, okay, you're here. I'm going to take you a little little deeper, a little, little deeper. Because if he took us as deep as he is from the, from the get-go, we, our heads would explode. I mean, it's just little by little by little. And so I want to just challenge you, for those of you that say, I've heard this, been there, done that. I mean, this is nothing new. Uh, can I just challenge you? Maybe that's why you're so bored with Jesus, is because you look at his word and go, I've got it. I never want to get to the point where I look at Jesus and go, I got it. I'm good. It's not said I like that song. To never think that, okay, it's good enough. Because Jesus always wants to take us deeper. So that's just a challenge, just to stay there. If, if you sit there and go, I don't agree, that's fine. Enjoy the nap. But if for the rest of you, um, let's just dig in and then just see. I mean, this is a passage. I remember I, I knew this. And then the last time I, I looked at it and I preached it at flood a few months ago, I went, oh man, I never saw that part again. And so let's pray. We'll, we'll jump into this. Jesus, we want to hear your word, your opinion, your agenda, not ours. I don't want to hear my agenda. I don't want to hear my opinion. I don't want truth based on me. I want truth based on you. Only your truth. And so God, convict us, encourage us, whatever it is that we need to walk deeper and deeper with you. And I pray that we're submissive to you and that we live a life of service, but with the right motivation for it. So God, we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. We've been going through this series here at PFB Purpose called Mythbusters, and we're debunking some kind of myth every week. And so um, when Glenn said, hey, can you preach a couple of these? I said, I would love to. And so as I started thinking about it, I was like, hey, this is the one we're going to look at today, debunking the idea that Christianity is just about a bunch of rules. Just follow a bunch of rules, a bunch of commandments, and that's what you do. And, and okay, true or false, this one hopefully we can get. True or false, God's word has commandments. Good, six of you, fantastic. Okay, so six of you know that. I'm just kidding. I know there were more. I'm just playing. Okay, there are commandments. And we sit there and go, well, see? And then some of you that don't like Jesus and you're here, that's okay. But you look and go, see? You just said it yourself. It's about a bunch of commandments. And I didn't. I said, there are commandments. There are requirements. There's things that are set up, which is really what we do as parents, isn't it? For those of us who are parents, don't we set rules? Don't we set up limits on our kids? Say, I don't. They have to learn. Oh, goodness gracious. That's interesting. Okay, so, but, okay, but you set up limits. Like when they're little, they don't get to just go play with a light socket for fun and give them a fork to stick in there so they'll, they'll learn. You actually set up limits because you want them to live. You want them to what? I tell my boys, this is your job right now. You're 10 and 8. 
Your job, do well in school, do your best, just do your best and play. That's it. And if they don't want to do one of those, they can go get a job. Okay, but I want them to do one of those. Just do those two things. And then there's these things that we have in our family. There's these rules and there's these expectations that I have. I want them to grow up to be men who love Jesus well. So these are the things that I'm setting up. Just do this. Why? Because I want their lives to be blessed. And is that not the heart of the Father that we have in God? Because when you look in John chapter 15, just stay there in Luke 15, but in John chapter 15, Jesus says this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, catch this, here's the heart behind it, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What's the purpose behind the the requirements, the commandments of God? It's not just God up in heaven going, do it or else. Because I'm in charge, you do what I say. The whole heart behind God giving us commandments is our joy. And not that we would just increase in human joy, but Jesus says, I don't want you to just have your own joy. I want my joy to be in you and therefore your joy will be full. So abide, abide, obey my commandments. That I give up these, I put these things up saying, don't go outside of this so that you experience joy. Guys, when we understand the heart of the Father for us, that us doing what he requires is not this I have to mentality. I have to do it. I'm a Christian, so I have to and I have to and have to. And then people that aren't Christian, they come up and meet you and they go, how are you? I'm a bitter Christian. Because I have to do these things. Rather than realize, okay, behind The commandments, the requirements of God as a loving father whose heart desires for his kids to be blessed. Desires for his kids to have joy, not perfect lives. Has anyone ever noticed that when you obey God, things can get harder? You sit there and go, oh, prove it. Remember Joseph? Remember he gets sold into slavery. That's kind of a bummer. By your brothers. Then he's... Then he's in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife, Hotifer, comes up to him and wants to sleep with him. It's not, I don't, it's not a scripture, but I just, it, just, it makes sense and I stole it from somebody. Okay, so Hotifer goes after him and he obeys guys. Like he runs it. I mean, she just, she just kept going after him and after him. And at some point he just takes off and says, I can't sit against God and takes off and leaves his coat in her hands. Which means it kind of sounds like she's a little bit forceful. Doesn't it? It's not like he was like, no, hold that. <laughs> it takes off. So then she tells a lie. Oh, he tried to rape me. So Potiphar listens to Potiphar and Joseph goes to prison for it because he obeyed God. And we as Christians, we look at the pastor and go, but you know what happened next. Do you ever realize, okay, pardon my friends. You ever realize how stupid we sound sometimes? Because we forget. We forget that this 17-year-old kid was sold into slavery Then he's put from a slave for Potiphar into prison. And so for some 13 years, he's going through this agony. We look at the story because it takes us five minutes to read, forgetting that a person had to live through it for 13 years. So I'm not going to tell you, obey Jesus and it's perfect. I'm just going to say, obey Jesus and it's right. And no matter what comes, you're pleasing him, do you see how it always comes back to relationship? It's not about just a bunch of rules and rituals and traditions. It's about relationship. It's always been about relationship. Isn't that why he came? 
I mean, here's another reason that Jesus came for us. Because think about it. I use this often. Guys, if Jesus never came, we could still meet in a big building. We could still study a big book. We could still pray these prayers, hoping that they hit something. We could sing songs. We could do nice things for people. But what is the one thing that we would not be able to have if Jesus never came? Is to have a relationship with God where we have the right to come before him boldly and give him the title that he longs to hear most from us. Do you know what that is? Abba, Father. Papa, Daddy. That's what it's always been about. It's always been about restoring relationship. So we jump into Luke chapter 15, verse one. Says this, he's just setting the scene. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Stop there for just a second. Underline that in your Bible if you want to. All the sinners and the tax collectors are drawing near to Jesus. Jesus wasn't trying to convince them to come to him. There was just something about Jesus. Hey, come to me. Here's the donut. Hey, come to me. Here's five bucks. Hey, come to me. You'll get everything you've ever wanted. He's just teaching. He's loving people. He's healing people. And it says that the sinners and the tax collectors were drawn to him. So I'm going to say this for me, and if it applies for you, then accept it, because here comes a little conviction. If the sinners and tax collectors, the tax collectors were seen as the, one of the lowest of sinners of all that culture, if the sinners and tax collectors were drawn to Jesus, why are they repelled by his followers today? Is it because we have forgotten where we have come from? Is it because we have forgotten what he has done? Is it because in this passage, we relate more with the religious leaders than we do the sinners? Look what happens. Verse two, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this is it, this is all they got on them. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Ah. Oh my gosh, the tabloids are going nuts. Paparazzi's taking, well, they don't have, they don't have cameras. They're drawing. They're, oh, look what he's doing. He's eating with sinners. Publish. Can I read that again? This man receives sinners and eats with them. Is anyone else thankful that that's what Jesus was known for? And is anyone else here thankful that that's what he's still known for? And, then is, and is anyone else here convicted that Maybe we're not known for that. Guys, for Jesus to sit down and have a meal with someone in that culture, I mean, we do it all the time. I mean, we have business lunches and we, we, meet, we, we meet up with family and some of the family members we can't even stand, but we do it just to keep the peace in the home, right? Don't judge me, that's what we do. So we do that. So we're sitting there, we're enduring for an hour. Oh, come on, come on. Why, is it, why is the person taking so long? Anything else? No, just give me the check. So we get through it as quick as we can. But I'm not in that moment saying to every single person, we're family, we're friends. But in that culture, the fact that Jesus would sit down and eat with sinners, he's saying, I love you, we are friends. Jesus is saying, we are friends. And a lot of times all we say is, I'm offended. I mean, you don't act like a Christian and bing. Why, is that, why does that just sound so absurd? Why would you expect, why would I expect someone who's not a follower of Christ to pretend or act as if they are? I know this is gonna be hard and some people don't like this word. Can I just encourage you? We all suck. <laughs> Have a great day, I'll see you later. 
<laughs> and I know some sitting there go, I can't believe you just said that, but guys, it's so free. Because you know what happens when you can accept that truth? You don't become like the religious leader. How do I know? Because that's where I used to live. I'm the recovering legalist. I was the one that was looking at everyone. Why don't you get your act together? I'm the one, I was preaching like a mad football coach, grabbing youth in the face, going, live for Jesus. While never showing them Jesus. And you know what God had to do? Completely wreck me. And 14 years ago, he nailed me. And it's been a 14-year process, and that legalist jumps up every once in a while. It doesn't mean I don't stand for truth at all. And I'll preach truth boldly and hopefully graciously and lovingly, but isn't it weird that Jesus could teach truth that offended people, and yet the sinners were still drawn to him? Why, there was just something about that guy. And isn't that, isn't that the reputation we, we should have? That people just sit there and go, I don't know what it is. There's just something different about you. I can't put my finger on it. That's probably the best thing to hear. I can't believe he's actually receiving sinners. And I, have, I, as one of them, say thank you, Jesus, that you received me. And you as a follower of Christ, every day we should sit and just go, Jesus, I want to thank you that you've received me and you eat with me. And you get, I get this, I get you. Anyone else feel bad for Jesus? Like, we get him. He gets us. Like, who got the cruddy end of the deal? Like, I just look at God going, do you realize this? This is what you got. So Jesus knows they're grumbling. So he starts telling some parables, starts telling some stories. He's like, oh, okay, there was this, uh, there's this shepherd. He has a hundred sheep. One of them takes off. I mean, think about it. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the open country and go run after the one until you found it? And then when you found it, to put it up on your shoulders and celebrate. I'm gonna be honest. How many of you, he listened to him tell that story and sit there and go, no, I would never do that. It's one out of 99. I mean, out of a hundred, you have 99 left. That's an A. Right? I, I tried to apply that when I was doing youth ministry. It's like if I take 100 kids to camp and I bring back 99, that's a high A. <laughs> like, don't be judging me because like, I got one off. I can't be perfect every time. So I look at that, it's just, it's just one. It's just, it's one. So it's, I mean, it's, the purpose of a sheep is to be someone's clothes or someone's meal. So just let him go live out his purpose. But he says, now watch. <laughs> I'm not sure I got this right. Verse seven. So just, so just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. He goes, oh, okay, you're not getting that. How about this? There's this woman. She's cleaning up her house. She has 10 coins. She loses one. Okay, wouldn't she stop? Wouldn't you stop everything? Make sure you put the nine over here and look for the one. You're tearing everything apart. I mean, you were cleaning. Now it's all jacked up because you're trying to find the one thing. And then you find it. And wouldn't you call all of your friends to come over and have a party? Does this sound weird to you that so far Jesus in two stories has mentioned parties twice? 
Isn't it weird that God is sitting here teaching going, I think we should have a party. But we as Christians don't do that because when it comes to God, God and party means Bible study. I mean, you know it's Christian because all of a sudden it's like, hey, let's come together and have some what? Let's have some sweet fellowship. And the rest of the people are just hanging out. I don't, there's times, I'm be honest, I don't want some sweet fellowship. I just want to sit around. I want to laugh and joke and watch a football game with some guacamole and chips. I just want to do that. I don't want to open up Haggai and ask what he really meant. I hope I have a job later, but I'm just, I'm being honest. He says, wouldn't you, wouldn't you throw a party? I mean, wouldn't you look for the one? I sit there and go, no. I mean, if I had 10 quarters, I don't know that I'd go after one. I mean, I got nine. I'd make my kids look for another one. He goes, okay, you're not getting it. It's like this. There was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Coming to me when? When he's dead. Dad, you're not dead yet. Oh, how I wish you were. So can you give me my inheritance? What I'm supposed to get when you're dead, can I have it now? Now this is the part that gets me. And he divided his property between them. And I sit there and go, what is wrong with this dad? And Tyler at 10 came up to me today after church and went, hey dad, do you think I can have my inheritance? Like you're not dead. I mean, I wish you were, because then I could have my inheritance. Can I have it now? I said, sure. Pulled a buck. There you go. (laughs) That's what I got. That's your part. But it says he divided his property, and he gave it to his son. That doesn't sound normal. Now, remember, Jesus is the master storyteller. I mean, mean, when Jesus preached and when he told stories, people were glued to it. So as he's, as he's painting the scene, it's like you'd, you'd have people in the crowd going, he did what? He asked what? The dad did what? They might be even getting ticked off. Goes on. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in, in reckless living. I knew he would. I knew it, bratty little kid. Everyone over here is going, I knew it. I don't know, the dad was so stupid to even think that, it, that his son would go out and do anything right with it. I mean, how dare he? Oh, this is what he deserves. And when he had spent everything, I knew it. And I knew it. Did you know I knew it? A severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. And then our response is what? Serves him right. Serves him right. Dang straight, absolutely. Yeah, I hope he gets it. I hope he gets what's coming to him. Now everyone's sitting there going, oh. and Jesus knows. He's just like throwing out the line. And there was a famine. I knew. I got. Okay, so he knew. There's a famine that hits. He spent everything. And he began to be in need. Verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to, to feed pigs. Now we sit there and go, okay, that's a job. No, no, not in that day. Jesus is so good. Okay, so he's, he's painting the picture. He goes, he's in so much need. He's, he hires himself out. Oh, what did he do? Like, what did he do? What was his job? What was his job? He went and fed pigs. Oh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Like, that is the worst job in the Jewish culture. That is the lowest. 
And Jesus knew what their reaction would be. He says, yeah, he hired himself out to feed pigs. Yeah, let's go with that. In verse 60, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. How many of you have ever just watched a pig eat? Anybody? Maybe not in person, on Discovery Channel. Okay, because we don't, unless you have a pig. But yeah, I don't, when I saw on Discovery Channel, I didn't look at pigs and go, I want some of that. (laughs) That looks so good. So Jesus is just painting the picture. Painting the picture. How bad did it get? He wanted to feed his stomach. He had nothing else. He wanted to eat what the pigs were eating. The unclean animals in their culture, he wanted that. Oh, this is bad. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, if you have the NIV, it probably says, but when he came to his senses, it's like when he woke up, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Okay, and this is what I'll do. I'll rise and go to my father and, and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, how many of you have ever written a speech when you got in trouble? Remember when you had parents, when, like when you were a little kid and you had parents, you got in trouble. It's like, oh, crud. I got to play some politics here. Here we go. Practice, practice. I have sinned against heaven and against you. Oh, that is so good. I'm going to be a political speech writer. That'll be fantastic. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy. That always gets them. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Oh, so he's got the plan. The plan is put in place. But... You ever notice how things change through one word, but? Is anyone else thankful for this one word in your own life? This is where I was going. This is where I was, but God. Isn't it those two words, but God, that brought about the miraculous change in you? If you sit there and go, nope. I have a card for you that says Pharisee. Okay, but here it goes. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Ah, Jesus is, oh, he's so good at this. He's painted the scene and everyone's against the son. And while he's, a still, while he's still a long way off, the father saw him. Doesn't that paint the picture of a dad constantly going out and looking in the distance, hoping that his son will come home? You sit there and go, well, if he's so loving, why did he let him go? In Romans chapter 1, remember the Father's the picture of God. In Romans chapter 1, there's this phrase that's repeated in verse 24, 26, and 28. Before that, around verse 18, it talks about this wrath of God, that God's wrath is being displayed. And then three times right after that, he talks about God handing them over, and God handed them over, and God handed them over. So you know what a lot of God's wrath is? God handing us over to the lusts that we have. He said, oh, that just seems so mean. Not when you realize, because you connect chapter one and chapter two, do you realize that Romans is one letter? Paul didn't write chapter one, verse one, verse two. Oh, that's a good break. No, it all goes together. That when you read chapter one with chapter two, the kindness of God is connected to the wrath of God, that we would find repentance. Isn't that what this story's about? He hands him over and lets him go. Parents, isn't that hard to do? I know that if I let my boy or I let my girl go do that, it's going to hurt her. It's going to hurt him. 
Oh, I long for the day for him or her to come home. What's the whole purpose? God hands us over that he can, what? Show his kindness and lead us to repentance. That's what that part's about. His father's not being unloving. He's being so loving, but he's in agony. And you know that he is because he's looking far off and felt compassion? What? This is where all the hearers would sit there and go, what? He felt compassion? He felt compassion and ran. Okay, in that culture, grown men did not run. They don't run. And so Jesus takes the story up a little bit. This father sees the son from a distance and feels compassion and then bolts off running and all, especially the men in the group would be sitting there going, I can't, how embarrassing. I mean, I would be absolutely ashamed to be around that. Embraced him and kissed him. And then the son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Man, the speech is flowing. He's like, man, I should get an award for this. Look at the father's response. But the father said to his servants, What's it mean? He wasn't even listening to the speech. He didn't even listen to the speech. Son's going off. He never got to the point where he says, hire me as one of your servants. He says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Dad looks, hey, bring quickly the best robe. Who would have the best robe in the family? Dad, right? Dad has the best robe. Get my robe. Put it on him and put a ring on his hand, signifying that he's family. He's placed back into his position and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. There's that word again. It's time to party. The fattened calf. That's what you save for the big time party. I mean, you get the big one. I mean, you've been, you've been saving Bubba. There's Bubba. It's like, don't mess with Bubba. Leave Bubba alone. Take the little ones. Take Babina or whatever. Take the little ones. But here's Bubba. Don't touch Bubba yet. And then the son who goes off and squanders wealth, his daddy's wealth, comes back and the dad goes, kill Bubba. It's time to what? Yeah, celebrate so Christian. It's time to party. Get Haggai. Get the scroll. Let's have a Bible study. No. Eat. Eat. Thank you, Jesus. Eat. <laughs> Verse 24. For this son, for this my son. Did you catch it? For this my son, my son. It always goes back to the relationship. His, his position as son did not change when he left home. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate, they began to party. Oh, they went nuts. And if you were that son, what would you be thinking? What the? Dad's lost it. I mean, I'm thankful, but he's lost it. Man, this robe's nice. I got always, I always got the junk leftovers. This is a nice robe. What would you be thinking? Now, his older son. See, we always stop there. We always stop with the younger one. We're always mad at the younger one. Ah, bright little kid. And we stop there because it's an evangelistic message, right? Guys, I'm convinced the prodigal son has less to do with the younger son as with the older one. You say, well, prove it. Why was Jesus even telling the stories? He was telling the stories because some religious leaders got ticked off that Jesus received and ate with sinners. 
So the son, the parable of the prodigal son has less to do with the younger son, has everything to do with the pharisaical religious leaders that we're listening. It has everything to do with those of us who are in the older brother camp. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And his response, but he was angry. He was angry, refused to go in. His father came out. The fact that he made his father go out is disrespectful. His father comes out to him. Father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, when this son of yours came, oh, we're so good to just, yeah, we do that, don't we? Well, that's not my kid. You know, when that, you know when one of your kids had the tantrum in the grocery store? Oh, that's not my kid, that's Kelly's kid. <laughs> when this son of yours, he's not saying my brother. He says, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, what's the first word there? Son. Son. Isn't that weird? The younger son comes back and the first thing he hears is son. The older son, sitting over here, bitter. Here's the same word, son. What's that tell us? We all suck. He didn't say son plus. Son plus four, and you're a negative, but we'll get there. He calls them both son. Son, you are always with me. Guys, if you want proof that it's about relationship, isn't that it right there? You are always with me. He didn't jump and go, I noticed your service and I appreciate it. Way to be obedient. He just goes back to this reminder, son, you're always with me. I mean, you jumped into just doing all these things because you're supposed to. I'm gonna be a good follower. I'm gonna be a good Christian. So I'm gonna do, 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 because I have to. And as long as we keep living in this mentality of I have to, I have to, we just become those cranky old bitter Christians. Rather than realizing, whoa, 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 I'm always with you. It's always been about relationship. I don't have to, I get to obey God. I get to walk with Jesus. I get to be with him. Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother. Boom. So what? What did the brother say? When this, your son, he goes off and does all these things. And here comes the father going, no, no, I heard that. When this, your brother, remember, remember your relationship with him. There's no superiority here. I can picture the father going, there's no superior, superiority here, young man. I got the young man a little bit growing up. 
You, you call him my son and I say, he's your brother. Don't neglect that. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Which camp do you struggle in the most? I, I, I always go back to that hymn where it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. You know what I'm talking about? And I can sit there and go, ah, I got that. So I, sometimes I feel like I'm living here, but honestly, this is where I lived most of it. And this is the part that I struggle with the most. And so can I just take care of something real quick? People that say, okay, I'm, I'm totally running off from God. I don't want anything to do with it. And then those that are over here going, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And it's like a self-righteous kind of thing. I'm all, it's all based on what I've accomplished. This is just as damnable as this. I could be in a religious place. I could do religious things. I could do, I could do quote unquote Bible readings. I could do prayer. But if I don't have a relationship with Jesus, I hear from Jesus say, I never knew you. Matthew chapter seven, he's so clear. Didn't we do miracles in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And it says, then Jesus says, and I will look at them that day and say, I never knew you. Away from me, you worker of iniquity. Separated from God for eternity. Why? Because it was never about the relationship. It was just about the duty. Guys, if we're finding ourselves in this service of God, always looking around at, they're not doing what I'm doing. They're not doing what I'm doing. I used to get ticked off. I'd do an event. You know what I noticed? I noticed the people that weren't there rather than the people that were. And I got ticked off with them that they didn't come to my party. I said, oh, Brian, poor you. And I say, poor us. We do the same thing. They're not doing what I do. They don't read as much as I do. They don't serve where I serve. I know that the greatest ministry on the planet is working with young adults. That's where they should be. I know the best place to be is with junior hires. I know the place to be is in the nursery. I know the best thing to do is the choir. I know this is what everyone on the planet should be doing. All the while forgetting that God has given us so many different talents and gifts, interests for his purpose. Instead of me looking around going, how come they don't do that? I think that Jesus often, I think he often looks at me and says, Brian, would you just shut it? They're not doing this because I didn't tell them to do this. Maybe they've actually learned the joy that comes with the word no because they're obedient to what God has said rather than living up to the expectations of all of God's kids. What camp are you in? We're prone to wander, I get it. I know, I'm with you. You have a recovering legalist side in you? That's me. You're the prodigal. Prodigal, I say that in quotes. Taken off. Friends, we cannot expect people that don't know Jesus to pretend to act as if they do. It is not fair. It is not right. It's not correct. It's sin. What should be happening, this is what should be happening, that Jesus is such a reality in me. I'm just applying it to me. If the shoe fits, wear it. Guys, if, if... if Jesus is the reality in my life, that there should be people that don't know Jesus who will be drawn to me, not because I'm amazing, but because there's an amazing God living in me. And there'll be times that I have to preach the hard things or tell the hard truth, but man, I pray it's out of grace and I pray it's out of love for that person. 
And they may disagree, but they're still drawn. Why? Because they sit there and go, there is something different about you. And in that moment, say, there is, it's Jesus. It's the reality of the God of the universe residing in me, and that's what you're seeing. I want to get there. Do you? Because I don't feel like I'm there yet. Today when I'm done, I'll preach the next service, I'll preach at the hub. I'm not going to sit in the car and go, well, I'm married, I'm a husband. So I have to go talk to Kelly. Because that's what I have to do, because I'm a husband. And then get home and fake it. How are you? It's great to see you. Is this almost over? You sit there and go, you're an idiot if that's what you would think. So for some of you, can I ask you the, the question, what's the difference between you and your relationship with Jesus and, the, and the, the picture I just painted about my relationship, fake relationship with my wife? I'm an idiot if I act like that. But when we turn Jesus into that, I read my Bible, check. Prayed, check. Thank God I don't have to do that anymore. I'll do that tomorrow. And we've missed the whole point. Are there rules? Yes. Are there commandments? Yes. Is it all about that? No. It's all about relationship with God, relationship with people. As the worship team comes back up, Jesus was asked this question. He was asked this question. Hey, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus, man, he quotes it. He quotes the Bible. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He, he, he quotes what's called the Shema. This is what every devout Jewish person would recite six times a day. So he was correct. And then he goes, oh, wait, wait. Seconds like it. Love your neighbors yourself. Then he says this. All the law and the prophets are summed up in those two things. Here's your cheat sheet for the Old Testament. Ready? Love God with everything. Just love him and love each other. Love God and love each other. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I didn't do this in the last service, but I feel like I'm gonna do it now. And I don't know what's gonna happen. Jesus came for you because he adores you. He receives sinners and we all are there. The only difference between a person who, who has Christ and a person that doesn't is we have Christ. We're all sinners. We all broke it. God didn't have to come for us, but he came. He made it very clear. You want to be right with God? This is what happens. You confess Jesus as Lord. The word Lord means master. The word confess there in the Greek means to say something in such a way that my life will follow that declaration. You'll be able to see that that direct declaration is a reality in my life. They say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I believe you died on a cross and came back to life. And I call out to you to save me. In other words, we surrender. This is God's response. He sees you from a distance and he goes running. He embraces you, kisses you, sticks, sticks his robe on you, this robe of righteousness, puts shoes on your feet, a signet ring on your finger and starts the party because there's more joy in heaven over one who was lost who comes to know Jesus. So you can do it right there. You can just sit there and go, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I believe you died on the cross, came back to life. I give you my life. 
But if you would do us the honor and let us know that you did that, and I know this is freaky. I know some of you sit there and go, what are you doing? We just want to celebrate with you and with heaven. You don't have to do this. It doesn't, doesn't affect me one way or the other, except I, I just like to know who did it. If today, this morning, you gave your life to Christ, would you do us the honor of letting us know that you did by standing up? And then we just want to celebrate that you did. And look around. I'm already saved. Don't look at me. I'm just standing because I don't want to sit on a stool. But anybody, you sit there and go, I want to surrender to Jesus. I know it's a lot, but we're just going to celebrate with you. Standing up doesn't save you. It just shows us that you are and we get to party. Anybody? Look around. Okay, then the last one and we'll get into the last song. Guys, don't try to be the younger brother or the older brother. We should always be striving to be the father in the story. This is our target. So I'm going to ask you to stand if you say, Jesus, I don't want to be in these camps. I want to be about you. And I want my relationship with you to be so much of me that I don't have to turn on relationship and turn it off. I'm just always with you. And I guarantee you guys, when we walk like that, we will rejoice when the younger brother comes home. And we'll be patient with the older brother who turns into a jerk every once in a while. If that's you, Jesus, it's just you. Would you stand? And if you don't, it's fine. There's no judgment. If you're not there, great. I'm just glad you're here. It's a journey. Jesus, forgive us for the times we forget what it's about. And so as we sing this last song, God, I pray you're so pleased as you hear your kids sing to you how amazing you are and how much we need you. Jesus, we give you this as our offering, and we thank you that you gave us yourself, and you still are with us. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.